Hello and welcome back, hopefully, to Mosi. Um, welcome to any new listeners as well. My name is Patrick Cleary. This is Foreign and Domestic Unfiltered, episode four, installment four, whatever you want to call it. Um, as always, we're going to get into to two key main issues of the week that kind of, um, you know, we took a deep dive in. One of them, you know, I'm sure that you haven't missed it. it we're going to take a deep dive at what's going on in Texas right now. Uh, the crisis that, you know, and we'll get into it, is, was kind of would have been avoidable. Um, and then we are also going to talk about the legacy that's left behind by Mr. Rush Limbaugh. Uh, but before we do that, we're always going to... Uh, Lead off with some quick hits for the week. Um, Ramon, do you want to uh, to lead it off? Yeah, let's kick it off here today with uh, the Trump-McConnell civil war. Uh, so yeah, Donald Trump on Tuesday put out a statement through his PAC and he fired a broadside uh, declaring war on Mitch McConnell and any Republican that is not Team MAGA. <laughs> he, he came out and said, quote, Mitch is a dour, sullen, and unsmiling political hack. And if Republican senators are going to stay with him, they will not win again, he said. Um, And this is coming on the heels of McConnell's admonishment of Trump for his role in the insurrection and then, uh, you know, failing to convict, uh, vote to convict him. But, you know, like like we talked about last week, it's again, it's the you know, he has to put on the show. He's got his donors looking over his shoulder. McConnell does. And, you know, part of it is surely him making some political calculation, trying to, you know, wrestle control of the party back or at least the Senate. Um, you know, to, to his ends. And do you think, do you think McConnell is in a vulnerable place for this right now? I mean, if you, if you take Mitch McConnell's, um, position within the Republican party and legacy before Trump, or even at the start of Trump, or even in the middle of Trump's presidency, he was kind of a, someone that was not to be moved Mm -hmm. after everything that has happened after his stance against Trump, I guess, after the impeachment number two, do you think he's a movable piece within the Trump whirlwind? Uh, I mean, the thing is, right, like it always comes back to for me the fact that the GOP's base leads them by the nose. So I think that just Trump's he has the base just wound tight around his finger and they're just going to lead wherever he pulls that string. So. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's the difference, right? Like, so while we, while we, you know, people that were, you know, politically mind poisoned, like me and you for the last four years watching all this, like we watched, you know, McConnell obviously have visible struggles with trying to understand how much room he had to break from Trump. And, you know, he obviously never really had any real pressure to do so until the insurrection happened. You know, like, I feel like if this didn't happen, Trump would have just went off into that good night and he kind of would have been able to. Um, you know, threatened from the sideline, like even if, you know, if some Republicans had popped up and opposed just his general rhetoric and everything once he was gone. But now that you've had this sort of, uh, you know, defining moment with the insurrection and everything that happened that came along with it, mm-hmm. it sort of forces everyone to address it. You can't this isn't something that they can just like run from reporters while walking around the hill. Right. You know what I mean? So it really it really brought it to a head. But um. Did he give him? A, did he give him a nickname? He's normally good at giving someone a nickname. Yeah, yeah, no, I well then. So right here, I got it right Shocker. here. Uh, according to Politico, a person familiar with the crafting of this statement uh, confirmed that it could have been far worse. Uh, in an earlier draft, uh, Trump mocked McConnell for having multiple chins. The person said. 
<laughs> but Trump was convinced by advisors to take it out. Uh, quote, oh. there, there was also a lot of repetitive stuff and definitely something about him having too many chins, but not enough smarts, the person oh said. God. So, yeah, I mean, of course, you know, I, I'm surprised he didn't ride with the Moscow Mitch because I like the alliteration. There. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, that that one is cool. I love it. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I think the main thing to focus on here. You know, aside from Trump's like, you know, obviously his his attempt to reassert himself at the helm of the Republican Party is he's threatening prime. He's threatening to give support to people who primary those who don't, you know, like those senators who voted against him Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, anyone else who's even had any mild criticism of him in the past. And this so this 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 definitely caps off like a theme that we've had. We've been talking about the last few weeks here, like Trump's not going away. Yeah. Uh, we, who knows what he's going to do with his third party. And, um, and you know, I wanted to highlight here in this quick hit, like Trump not going away actually, pro- in my opinion, isn't a good thing for Democrats. Yeah. You know, if you look at it historically, whenever Republicans go through these, if you know, look at the 2016 election, um, look at, um, you know, uh, pa- plenty of other uh, presidential elections where there was an outgoing incumbent Democrat. When Republicans have these vicious primaries, it usually leads to gigantic turnout afterward. Mm-hmm. It, you know, it's the red meat. It's the right. red meat. It's the thing that Democrats shy from and try not to let happen. Yeah. That's why you see, like, you know, when Hillary ran in 2016. Make people step aside. Yeah, almost, you would, yeah. yeah, every, yeah. anyone gets admonished that comes after people in a primary. I, I hold, I think the Republicans have the right idea about it. You, you have a tough primary. You know, yeah. you have your candidates beat up on each other a little bit, yeah. you know, because it gets people more connected. You know, that's what... Democrats keep trying to act like politics hasn't turned into some some type of semi-blood sport in America. Mm-hmm. It has. Yeah, it has. It has. Yeah. And that's undeniable. And, and and folks, this isn't a this isn't a commentary about like, oh, this is what our politics should be. No, this is commentary about this is how you win, mm-hmm. which is all that matters to me and all that should matter to anyone. Yeah. You know, when we get into these talks about like civility and all that, all that can come after, okay? In the meantime, these people need to play to win because yeah. Republicans ain't playing by the rules right. anyway. What do you think the outcome is going to be here? You think who's going to give ground? Uh, I mean, I, I yeah, think, we'll find out more in 2022. Right. I mean, certainly going forward here, McConnell's best play is to just ignore Trump. <laughs> like if he keeps if he says anything, which he hasn't so far, that would be the dumbest thing you can do. You just you can't get this guy oxygen. Yeah. Um, you know, he's banned off social media. <laughs> The only thing, the best he can do is like go on Fox. Every He's now called into Hannity's recently, yeah. yeah. But you know, even that, you know, plenty of uh, right wingers don't even watch Fox anymore now because yeah. just because of the election. So yeah. who knows? You know, yeah. he'll do his OAN rounds and all this other stuff. But uh, no, definitely something to pay attention to here going forward. Yep. Um, so my first quick hit, thought it was quite interesting, and it's it's again, it's something that. You know, Trump had one policy on it. I know we're talking about him again, but it, it's kind of when we're talking about this administration that's come in, it, it's kind of a lot of it is undoing and, and kind of tiptoeing around a policy that was instated during the, the Trump helm. So it's uh, Israel sounds alarm after U.S. backs nuclear talks with Iran, which, you know, I, I for one want America to come back and have a nuclear agreement with Iran. Mm-hmm. You know, I think... There was flaws within the the Iran nuclear deal, but it was certainly better than having nothing and having, you know, sanctions upon sanctions upon sanctions on Iran. At this moment, the reason that Israel are obviously raising concerns is, you know, Blinken, uh, Secretary Blinken, Secretary of State, 
announced on Thursday that the U.S. is willing to open discussions with Iran about returning to the 2015 nuclear deal. Now, Israel believes that going back to an old nuclear agreement will pave Iran's path to a nuclear arsenal. Um, and what Bibi said was, we remain committed to preventing Iran from getting nuclear weapons. Now, I think the, the Iranian issue um, is obviously a main friction point. You know, we talked about it last last week mm-hmm. with the Biden administration. I'm under the the you know idea that Biden wants to obviously have the because he was involved in the first Iran nuclear deal. Mm-hmm. He wants to get that back to a position where you know it looks good and at least they're not in a position where they're you know posturing like what's happening under the Trump administration because that's not good for anybody. I also with this administration. They're not as cozy and friendly to Israel as Trump was. So I think a lot of that posturing is not going to happen anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in tandem with that, I think you have kind of the the overtures of, you know, backing off a little bit with Saudi Arabia and not being so friendly. Although that remains to be seen how, how that will play out. I mean, they're still a major ally of the U.S., even though they have a lot of question marks over their head. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know... The the Enrique Mori, who's a senior UN foreign policy official, he proposed he then proposed an informal meeting of diplomats from Iran and six world powers that signed the nuclear deal. The State Department issued a statement saying the US was prepared to attend such a meeting, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. You know, right. let's let's lead with diplomacy and not just, you know, bluster. Um so yeah, number one though, I think Iran have said since this, which it was a couple of days ago, they've since said that, you know, they're willing to come back to the table. Mm-hmm. They're willing to stop um, do, taking steps to get a nuclear weapon, you know, if there's sanctions lifted. And we've talked at length about how a lot of these sanctions are crippling for them, yeah. not just for the government, but for the people of Iran. Um, but it's one of those things, you know, Iran, USA, Israel, they're always going to have these discussions, or at least, you know, it, it's it's always going to take place, especially when someone like Netanyahu is involved in in the discussions. It will remain to be seen how it, it shakes up post-Netanyahu. Right. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, Iran has the right to defend themselves. It doesn't have to be with nuclear weapons, but I know they have ballistic missiles that, you know, they're happy enough with. They work. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, so that's an interesting one for me. And my my first quick hit because that's something that I'm sure Biden will be attacked on for just going back to a uh, sure a nuclear deal. And I mean, just real quick before we close it out, I think it's interesting to compare because uh, you know, like you said, we mentioned it a week ago. They when they were first being asked Blinken and Biden about re-entering the nuclear deal, they completely tabled it. Like they were, you know, they seemed like they, they weren't like. like extremely cold toward it but they're like oh that's not a priority right now and then now here we are like probably what eight days after they made that statement which you know it was always going to come to that because if you keep in context like the fact that iran has significant russian backing for you know in many of their sectors you know they signed that giant oil deal with china not that Mm -hmm. long ago america the united states like from an establishment perspective they can't really afford to not get you know uh get get one get some of their players back in that right you know back in these diplomatic uh arenas they really can't afford that if from their perspective iran is such a threat you know what i mean so yeah. i kind of always expected like 
you know, they were obviously going to get back in the deal. And like you said, uh, sure, it might have had like some flaws here or there. But I argue that it's one of the greatest uh, diplomatic yeah. accomplishments of the Obama administration. Right. You know, yeah. uh, probably one of the best things he did, period. Like right. even count, like even considering like the Affordable Care Act. And there's a lot of falsehoods that's pushed by conservative media around that. Like, you know, they always talk about the money that was given to Iran. That was their money to begin with. <laughs> yeah. And let's not get into the actual nefarious stuff that the U.S. did in order to destabilize Iran in the first place. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can all have differences of opinion. You know, we can all have differences of opinion on policy. But, you know, we could we could go into shows about how, you know, the nefarious antics of the U.S. in foreign policy. Um, last thing I'll say, though, an important date with that is on February 23rd, Iran is expected to withdraw from the additional protocol of the nuclear deal. That would see Iran curtail its cooperation with U.S. inspectors, suspending their ability to conduct unannounced visits to the nuclear sites. And that that would be a dangerous step, you know, for a number of reasons, right? Because nobody's looking in. Um, So I think, you know, to your point, I think that's why the kind of time frame was sped up in talking about Iran, even though on the campaign trail, he wasn't saying much about it. Well, I mean, and also, like, if you read the statements from Iran, like, after uh, Biden and Blinken said what they said, you know, uh, their State Department in Iran was like, well, hey, you know, you guys defaulted on the deal. Like, you can't, you don't have any position right now to tell us, oh, you need to keep uh, continuing on with it. Like, and that's something that, you know, Americans need to, you know, come to grips with and try to have some perspective on like, you know, don't always have the Western perspective. Like, think about it. If you were in Iran and you were those people, how would you feel? Like, yeah, you had another country that was, you know, bullied you into an agreement essentially. And then they broke out of it regardless if it was, you know, why? Oh, because it was Trump. It doesn't matter. The point, the point is our country backed out of it. You can't expect them to continue to hold to it while still being held by sanctions. I mean, you can't have your cake and eat it. Yeah. It's insane. And you know, there were plenty of people within the UN who supported that. So I think that that's a big part of why, like we're saying like, yeah, they're going to, of course, Biden's going to come back to the table because you you, you can't really afford to take your time on this. Mm -hmm. If there's, if there's any foreign policy priority that they have coming into the first hundred days, it is this. Yeah. You know, Yeah. And, you know, I think Iran are willing to to talk on this. They were willing to, they were disappointed when Trump pulled out of it somewhat. And then obviously from that moment, you think of the aggressions that happened. Um, ultimately, there was what the Moab bomb, the mother of all bombs that uh, the US, they also Dropped took out Soleimani, yep. which, you know, that's a major aggression. That's the equivalent to taking out, what, the Secretary of Defense? I mean, you, you. I've heard plenty of people. You can make the argument that he was the biggest figure in Iran, yeah. like because he was a cultural figure too. It's right. not even just like you know right. his his mastery of control of paramilitary forces like Hezbollah. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, right? Like when you look at these things from a historical perspective, um, it, without taking the you know the line of propaganda or considering like, oh, which side is he on my side or another side, like. Right. He was an extremely influential player on the world stage. Right. Like that that that's world that's that's World War starting type of shit. Yeah. Uh centuries. Or I was worried de- decades when that ago. happened. Yeah. Yeah. I mean yeah. it really was. And yeah. that, and that was a real thing. Like you know, rewind to when that happened. People so people who understood the relations in the Middle East and you know all these uh the fact that Iran was you can't even really call it a satellite of Russia or anything. Like it was, it was like a legitimate ally. Yeah. Uh, like uh 
almost on par militarily with Russia. You know, that was a serious aggression that happened there. Mm -hmm. And that's you got to give the tip of the hat to um, the folks in the Iranian government for not really, you know, overtly responding. Yeah, because it's like, how do you how do you take that on the chin and then not have anything to give back for your people to show like, hey, you know, we're going to take some steps here. And I think, you know, what saved that situation from completely spiraling out of control you know, and this is funny to say, but it's because of how fucking tapped in the head Trump actually was and how like, right. you know, even though what he did was certainly an aggressive act, I think Iran, and I may be giving him too much credit, but I'm trying to functionally think about it in my own head. I think they were like, okay, that's just this guy. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's the American people. And, you know, an escalated war between the two, you know, it's ultimately the people who get hurt during those. Mm-hmm. So I don't think... Yeah, that, that was my take. I was like, they just must see him as just a nutcase. Well, they weren't. They didn't want to take the bait, right? Because right. that that's all it would have taken was for them to do something that was visible on the world stage. You know, right. not through Hezbollah, but actual Iranian military action. Yeah. And yeah. that's all it would have took for you know, egghead, uh, uh, neocon egghead Max Boot or like people like him to be yeah. like, oh, I told you, look, Iran, biggest threat, biggest threat. Let's go. And then God yeah. knows who you know. You, you roll those dice. What if Trump wins again? Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, or even Biden. You yeah. know, Biden's not. It, he doesn't exactly have the softest stance on Iran either. No. So it would have been a huge roll of the dice. And then obviously I think that a big part of what played into it was, um, like you're saying, like being impressed with the restraint is coronavirus. You know, yeah. the, the world got hit by a pandemic. Yeah. Uh, not too long after Soleimani uh, was assassinated. So honestly, like <laughs> just, just on a larger scope here. The, the, the coronavirus happening covered up a lot of and, and, and froze and stalled a ton of really nefarious subplots that probably would have unraveled a little more. Yeah, I agree. Uh, in, in the year of 2020. Yep. Um, but all right. Yeah, let's hop over here. Um, I'll hit in my next quick hit here. Um, we're going to hit Joe Biden and student loan forgiveness. Um, Yeah, so in Joe Biden's first town hall as president on Tuesday, he fielded several questions, but um, arguably the most prolific query came from a young woman who asked him if he would support calls from progressives in Congress to eliminate student debt. Uh, 50K, actually, is what she was calling for. And uh, yeah, so she asked him this in the the CNN town hall, and he immediately responded, no, I will not make that happen. So, you know, right there off the bat, you know, Uncle Joe's overly blunt in these things i mean i guess that's endearing to some people yeah but it's just man it it really just from a political optic standpoint like it just doesn't look great when you're just you know you you hear about all these politicians and how you know when they're in their green rooms and their aides are telling them oh make sure you smile and like all that like that's the actual one cool part about joe biden and i actually you know found it minorly endearing about trump too it's like they're obviously back there like fuck off no i'm gonna do what i want you know (laughs) (laughs) like at least they're human yeah that's what made a good tv (laughs) yeah right right but but all in all no it it, because uh you know and we'll get into it right here but it is just sort of it's really disappointing to see you know you have people like chuck schumer now backing fifty thousand dollars student for uh debt forgiveness you know i don't know if like chuck Chuck schumer like got bit by like a socialist radioactive spider or something like eight (laughs) months ago but you got chuck schumer calling for it on top of like you know all the squad elizabeth warren bernie sanders uh pramila jayapal the the entire progressive caucus um and biden's just you know folding his arms no i'm not doing it so 
uh, after that question, you know, he went on to say he's going to do the $10,000 of forgiveness that he ran on, Mm -hmm. but he's still yet to act on it. And it's something that he can complete, uh, you know, immediately via executive order. Still not happening. Don't know why. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, he also went on to continue to say that he thinks community college would be free. But then he kind of got in this weird spot where he's trying to set up this false dichotomy of where he's trying to, like, say, oh, Americans need to choose between free childcare or pre-K and post-education. Like, I, yeah, I mean, I spoke to you. I actually was talking to you during the town hall because I was I watched a little bit about it. And I feel like, you know, town halls and, you know, politicians in general, when they're put on the spot, you know, a lot of people who are watching it expect them to have all the answers and have specific numbers, you know, on a debate stage as well. You know, you can prep and prep and prep. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the answer may not be something that somebody likes. And, you know, politicians campaign one way and they govern another. We all know this. So I wouldn't take much stock into impulsive Joe Biden answering questions because at the end of the day, politicians flip-flop. That's not an excuse for him. But I think his policy will continue to be shaped by the party. Uh, I think the progressives have brought this to the forefront um, within the campaign and now obviously the fact that it was a, a question in the town hall and it left a, such a resounding question mark over the whole town hall as the one thing where he was like adamantly no yeah no that's sure. a great thing that's a great thing and hopefully that'll put pressure on him I mean obviously me and you stances yeah there should be debt forgiveness there's things around that that you know I'm sure that he's fi- trying to be as fiscally responsive responsible well, as he well, that's can the thing here I, I we can get into the data on it uh you know that's why I, this was the highlight of why i wanted it to be a quick hit um i got here um so aside from making college free and unsaddling millions of americans from non-bankruptable debt being great policies all on their own canceling student debt is actually one of the best forms of stimulus the country can even do right now mm-hmm. uh, and you know we'll break down why there's there's $1.7 trillion of student debt in the country that the federal government uh, owns the overwhelming majority of. So in, in contract, uh, contrary to what uh, logic would dictate, the Fed actually loses money while servicing this debt. OK, this is interesting. I didn't even know this. I learned mm-hmm. about this this week. Um, so the Congressional Budget Office, the CBO, uh, which is a bi- uh, bipartisan organization within Congress that sort of measures, you know, fiscal uh, policy on different po- things that politicians want to you know, have their aides send in to be reviewed. Right. Um, it, uh, the CBO estimates that the, yeah, the U.S. loses $40 billion a year uh, on administrative costs servicing this debt. And it isn't offset by the interest it gains on the debt due to high levels of defaulting loan holders. Mm-hmm. So, so, so what we have here is a revenue hole. Um, you know, the, the, you know, aside from the actual, like, you know, moral, uh, quandary of the idea of a government holding debt over its citizens, mm-hmm. which, you know, that's, we could argue about that, but I mean, I just think that's just a bad idea in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if it's through like an actual asset, like a home or whatever, that's a different story. Right. You know, that's to protect a market. But when you're just talking about open debt for a commodity, like an education, which right. is essentially what it is, the way they're treating it, yeah. I don't consider it a commodity, but the way they're treating it, yeah. um, a non-physical, non-tangible commodity, that's a horrible idea because all you're doing is you're, you're tail spinning debt with 
while crippling people in your country from being to participate in the economy. You know, and that's yeah. that's the huge issue here. You have situations where you have people who took out like forty thousand dollars of uh of debt to get a four year degree. And then six years later, they still owe like 58 grand and they've been paying. On. And those stories are getting worse and worse and worse. Yeah. I mean, you know I mean? It's, it's just a recipe for disaster. And it's not even. Uh, and, and again, we'll go into these numbers here. So um, the 40 losing 40 million dollars a year. So this is why it's it's a perfect stimulus policy, because so so if they forgive fifty thousand dollars of debt, I haven't seen any actual breakdowns of I can't pinpoint what the actual total amount of debt would be left. Um, because I think the majority of people who own, who hold student debt in this country is actually 20 grand or less. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so more than 50%. So it's actually, it would eliminate a ton of people's debt, like boom, overnight. And remember, yeah. this is an executive order. This isn't something that needs to go through Congress. Mm -hmm. He can flick of a pen, boom, gone overnight. Yeah. Um, but yeah, student, student loan debt cancellation is the perfect trifecta of all stimulus policies because a, it costs nothing. You don't actually have to uh, put it through any legislative process. And even if you did, it doesn't matter because it's an executive order. Right. Um, it saves the government money. Again, they're losing $40 billion a year servicing this debt. I, first of all, I don't even know how that's possible. Right. I really don't, but it came out of the CBO and those are moderates. So right. I would argue that's probably not even worst case. You yeah. know, that's probably aggregated across the last few years, which is what I believe it was from the data I saw. Um, and then, you know, the last consideration of the trifecta, it, it'll remove a several hundred dollar a month bill from millions of people overnight. So when you're talking about stimulus, the main point, other than like, you know, we've 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 the left has sort of coalesced around this idea of, you know, it's survival. You know, it's the, the checks yeah. like those are survival checks. I agree. But we can't lose sight of the fact that the entire point of stimulus is to clip short the length of economic uh distress that's right. that's the entire point but that's the actual goal of stimulus um yeah. you know it, it wouldn't be such an emergency feeling thing if we didn't already have a significant portion of our population immiserated to begin with before the pandemic even fucking kicked off but when you consider long-term economic uh uh relief and you know uh a, a u-shaped recovery you know all these economic terms that they use yeah it really doesn't get any better than this right because again you're freeing up millions of people from participating in their local economies uh they're not sending money off to be thrown into a money pit that the the, the fed's losing money on right um and, it, and again this isn't like uh um we're not talking about like oh private corporations are just going to not get the debt that they're holding yeah. these people have already made their money back mm -hmm. okay that's another big consideration to make Everyone tries to talk about it and frame this from some perspective as if like there's you, oh you're gonna businesses will lose money because they hold these loans. First off, no, they fucking won't. They absolutely will not. Um, just simply because the fact that the, the Fed owns, even if he only eliminated, you, we're only talking about eliminating what the Fed actually holds. We're not talking about Biden writing executive order and like J.P. Morgan that holds like thirty billion in student debt just vaporizes overnight for them. That's no. not what we're talking about right. here. So. You know, the, the, the framing on this conversation is wildly out of control. In the it's all over media. the place. And what even from the town hall, the framing was weird because at the same time, I don't know if you saw Biden was talking about major economists, you know, 120 economists are under the impression that now is the time to spend. You know, we can't spend enough. But at the same time, he says he doesn't want to forgive student debt. Right. So I'm like, you know, there's one thing in spending and one thing in forgiving. Why aren't they hand in hand? It'll both of them will help revitalize the economy. Yeah, both will have people relieved. There's been no moratorium on 
these debts been having to be paid back is there not that i, I, know. I think I, yeah i think there was a, mo- a moratorium put on like ones that like Sandy may uh fannie mae and them hold just like there was with mortgages because yep. they they service a lot of uh okay um, uh federal loans too but but the issue is here right it only you know it pauses interest or whatever and people will pick back up but again like let i want to highlight these you cannot claim bankruptcy to get out of these loans yeah. which is a unique thing there isn't another debt in this whole country that exists in that manner at the very least um, even changing that, which he could again be executive order, he could change that. Uh, would be gigantic. And you, I, I the the main thing that I see from him, the way that he talks about it, like if you saw how knee jerk, how quick he was to say, "Nope, fuck you, you're not hell no." Yeah. I ran on 10k. Part of it is obviously I think it's his bravado of who mm-hmm. he is. You know, yeah. he's that he's that you know cranky old man. You're not changing my mind. Yeah. You know, and I have some respect for that. But part of it is. I notice when I have conversations with people about this, like older Americans, I, I think this is a generational thing as well, because obviously older Americans don't hold this debt, but well, I'm assuming very little of it if they do, you know, like for their kids yeah. or something, but they all keep coming back to older folks when they talk about this issue, they keep talking about like obligation and all this stuff. And it's, they, they keep playing in the moral hazard realm. They don't want to have the conversation about the actual economics of it, especially mm-hmm. now in the middle of a pandemic and this being required Always for stimulus. Yep. But I would even push back on that because it's like if you if you really look into the nature of how high the interest rates are on these, the fact that you can't claim bankruptcy, that's predatory in nature. That's not something our government should have any business in in the first place, right. you know, on its face. I think that that's a really simple argument to make. This is something that, you know, obviously, I don't know how much public policy polling is going to affect this because, again, it's something Biden just has to wake up one morning, like have an ice cream and decide to do. So I don't know. We'll see what happens. But even the 10K, you know, hey, if that's what you're going to do, do it tonight. buddy. Yeah. Yeah, What are you waiting for? Exactly. Yeah. Should have been done day one. Yeah. I don't know what the hold up is with any of that. All right. So my second quick hit This is our last quick hit. Um. This is kind of like the canary in the coal mine quick hit because, you know, we could run a whole segment on it. I think this is super important. And that is obviously after the historic turnout and increased mail vote, mailing voting in 2020, state lawmakers now across the country are pulling in the opposite direction. And you're seeing the introduction of restrictive and expansive voter uh, voter legislation, voting legislation. You know, there's... Some that we could highlight, but just kind of an overarching. So far, just this year, 33 states have introduced, pre-filed or carried over 165 bills to restrict voting access. Now, these proposals primarily seek to limit mail-in voting access, impose stricter voter ID requirements, slash voter registration opportunities, and enable more aggressive voter roll purges. Um, now, obviously, you know, both you and I are under the impression that the more people vote, that's a better, uh, you know, idea of what your actual democracy is. Absolutely. You know, you want as many people voting as you can. Let Never let it be said then that it's a, you know, flawed democracy. Mm-hmm. The people have spoken type thing. Um, Arizona leads the nation in proposed voter suppression legislation in 2021. Surprise, surprise, it just turned blue. <laughs> Um, with 19 restrictive bills. Pennsylvania comes in second with 14 restrictive policy proposals, followed by Georgia, surprise, surprise, just turned blue, with 11 bills and then New Hampshire. Now, 
like I said, they're they're all over the country that these bills are getting brought in or at least proposed. So, like I said, it's the canary in the coal mine. This is something that we as people and voters, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you need to you need to want to have as many people voting as possible. Um, you know, we talked about it offline. Trump probably shot himself in the foot trying to stop people from mail-in voting, even though he did it himself. You know, the the voter turnout was down because of his own rhetoric. They should have t- took advantage of the ways to vote. Yep. You know, the adverse of that is we saw how successful Get Out the Vote was in Georgia. Shout out Stacey Abrams. And nothing that she did... And nothing that we were seeing an increase in voting, nothing of that, none of that is nefarious. I mean, I think with with all of the the talk around, you know, fraud around the election, you know, these were well run elections, mm-hmm. um, bipartisan consensus that they were well run elections. And when I say bipartisan, I mean the actual people running the state elections. Um, I think a lot of this is kind of as the dust settles. Republicans know that when they're successful in whether it's gerrymandering or restricting the vote, they normally win. <laughs> right. So that's why you're seeing these bills been introduced. Um, and again, for me, we want as many people as voting as possible. Um, you know, there is obviously each state kind of sets the rules with this. Um the four to, to watch are Arizona, Georgia. I think Iowa was the other one I put. They have quite a few. Uh, and then Georgia, Florida and Georgia. Um, right. And, and and it's important to remember, though, right? So, you know, you're, you're correct. They they do set these rules for themselves. But if there's a superseding federal uh, law, there's means nothing. Right. You know, so uh, Democrats have been trying to pass the Voting Rights Act for, you know, God knows how long. Yeah. And it's something that they've obviously been talking about, uh, you know, correctly. Um, they've they've given decent priority to it, um, which would which would essentially nullify a ton of these laws that they're trying to put in. Um, you know, obviously, like voter ID laws, that's something that probably would be a that's a that's a bigger hill to climb. Uh, right. I don't I don't really think that the federal government can. Uh, stop that. But as far as what you're saying, like the, the levels of gerrymandering, um, voter roll purging mm-hmm. and the, like, for example, so like the federal government can they can pass uh, in like this Voting Rights Act. They can say that, OK, we're going to do automatic registration. There's nothing a state can do to stop that. Right. They have to do it because, again, the federal government controls the overarching rules for how um, elections are run in the country. Right. So uh, in that regard, as far as registration goes. So I think that. um you know, obviously, like you said, you have the, the culprits. Surprise, surprise here. Um, you know, that's that's the highlight of the story. Right. Um, and like what you were saying, like Republicans and Democrats should want more people to vote. Like, yeah, OK, normal Republicans. But let's keep it real here, folks. Like there's at least like, I don't know. I don't, what do you want to do? Just make up a number here. Fifty percent, 30 percent, whatever. The MAGA part of the Republican Party doesn't want democracy. You know, that that's clear now. Yeah. We can see this. Mm-hmm. The level of support Trump still has, the level of support the insurrection had, yeah. the level of, um, you know, just the, the, just the way that people easily just talk about all kinds of things like, oh, voter ID, um, 
you know, uh, the way that people respond to, you know, giant counties having one place to vote for with populations past 100,000, you know, when people signal that they're okay with that, what they're saying is, yeah, it's not me, first of all. Yeah, Yeah. it's not me. Don't give a shit. And uh, and uh, that's point A. Point B is, yeah, they they love it when it's in an area that's blue, plain and simple, because Mm -hmm. those are usually the places where there's, you know, mass populations. Mm -hmm. And no matter the state, red state, blue state, whatever, where there's major cities, Democrats tend to be. Mm -hmm. And we need to just, you know, that it needs to be framed in that manner. When, you know, when Nancy Pelosi goes out on the stump and starts talking about the Voting Rights Act and the, the, you know, the necessity of it around the country, you know, they need to keep it real. They need to frame it that way and say, you know, are you guys for democracy or not? Right. That is the way that it needs to be framed. Yeah. Just like what you said, because to not, you know, uh, you know, the level of increase that we had in mail-in voting, all these things like, yeah, like turnout was huge last That's a success. year <laughs> because of those reasons. You yeah. know what I mean? Like who wants to go stand in line in some of these major cities for hours to vote? You know, and the thing is, you, you have so many people who don't even have that level of buying in politics in the first place. Right. You know, where they're probably just in line to go vote for president. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Most people don't even know who their local officials are. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I just I Democrats have to continue to frame. And I've seen some doing it. You know, uh, you know, Jamal Bowman, you see more and more of these uh, uh, progressives lionizing, lionizing this talking point. But it's that simple. Are you for democracy or not? Because. If you're making arguments or trying to pass laws where you're making it more difficult for people to vote for claim, you know, while trying to claim that it's for fraud prevention after the data shows you year after year after year that it is such an insignificant issue that it doesn't require the amount of time they spend legislating this shit is incredible. Right. You know, the amount of time that they the gerrymandering makes sense to me because, you know, Democrats do it, too. Right. You know, Maryland, for example, is probably the heaviest uh, gerrymandered Democratic state. Uh, way more red states do it, but you know it is something Democrats yeah. do. But at Republicans least, are better at it. Too. Yeah, but at least that's something where you can make an argument where you know, oh, we're zoning it this way, whatever. Like, there's some play for you to lie and kind of get away with it. But mm-hmm. but when you're talking about like one polling site, that's just you know, right? It's that's bordering on Ill- illegality. Like, yeah. you're not even a democracy at that point. If that happened in Russia or any other country, we'd be talking about UN sanctions. Yeah, of course. Of course. And that's the biggest thing for me is like they always make it hard for some reason on election days for people to get like even the fact that it's not a public national holiday for election or it's not a holiday. Yep. You know, like it's insane to me. Like, do you want your people to vote? Do you want it to be a true democracy? Get everyone out voted. And I'm not saying that for the benefit of Democrats, it's for the, Dem- the benefit of Republicans, too. As a voter, not talking about the party, as a Republican voter, that's your best way to really force the hand of the people that are on the ballot for you. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that, yeah, that's an important issue. And we should look at we should look at that. We should all look at that and keep a keen eye on that. You know, and, and it just I want to mention there, there's super simple solutions to this. You know, Bernie Sanders has been a huge proponent of it. Uh you, the post office. You do automatic voter registration. Yeah. People do it through their post office. It's that simple. You already they already know you get mail there. You can confirm it through school districts. There's a ton of ways to confirm these things. And then while you're at it, you do some things like what he suggests, like you know have uh, uh, post offices do basic banking for people. That's another mm-hmm. step of verification. That's a solution to all these. You know, and I understand there are some Republicans. I know some people like in laws in my uh, family 
Well, you know, they have like legitimate concerns about like, well, you know, we should still try to eliminate fraud. Okay, let's do these things. Absolutely, then. yeah. Let's do these things that we can provide a basic service while simultaneously uh, vanquishing fraud because that is the real solution to it. You get people more infrastructural support through already existing systems and right. then you link the voting to it. It's pretty simple. Well, you you already – voting and, and the whole registration and voting process – seems kind of dated to me and like we have so much technology at our fingertips and so many advancements have taken place why does it still seem like we're bloody in a the dark ages with all a lot of this like where's the advancements in that why is it so like uh, rudimentary well i mean i actually i don't mind like the paper paper ballots at least at the very least backups but i don't mind it as the primary mode either because it is extremely susceptible to cyber attack, which, right. you know, we can't – that is something that does need to be considered when we talk about federal policy on voting. Um, and then, you know, <laughs> there's so many states – you know, look at the way that uh, the IRS handled, you know, stimulus payments. All these 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 tech – these software issues they have, you know, imagine that on a scale of if we did all voting online. And, I think it's by function that it's like that. <laughs> right. And, and I'm not saying don't try something like that. I'm just saying yeah. like uh, I know that there's some people who are like super techie that are like, oh, we don't even need paper ballots. Like, no, folks, we, we need the paper ballots because right. if we had some shit like this happen with uh, this election cycle of what just happened and we didn't have paper backups in certain states. Trust me, some of those Supreme Court right wing justices would be overturning that shit. Mm-hmm. Look what they did with George Bush, Bush v. Gore. Yeah. You know, that was just a purely public pressure campaign where uh, they just basically ran out the clock and said, OK, well, you ran out of time counting. Uh, Bush won Florida. What was it like hanging the hanging J? What was it called? There was, there was a I forget what the term was. It was like synonymous with that. It was like the hanging something. It was basically. Um, it was only half filled in, and that's what they were like arguing right. over. Yeah, they're, oh, he didn't fill the bottle all the way. We're gonna yeah. throw all those out. <laughs> yeah, incredible. Just double up on it, give people opportunity to do one way or the other, um, or both, whatever. I don't yeah. know. It, it just seems weird to me. Um, we live, and even like how the information for each candidate is displayed, because you know people go into a, and I'm kind of going off topic here. But you know people go into a, a voting booth. Why can't the the candidate have their policies, what they stand for under there? Like, why isn't, like, right. the onus now is on people to go in there and just vote D, vote R. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what they hear. Well, part of it, I mean, even here in New York, there's, I, I would argue, there's a decent level of voter suppression here just by the fact that you have to be registered to a primary, uh, to a party to vote for that candidate in a primary. That is voter suppression. You so, know, I, regardless of how people want to couch it, that is what it is in yeah. effect. Yep. You're telling people, nope, you can't vote in the primary. Uh, if you're an independent, go fuck yourself. Right. So, you know, there's this this happens in all these different states. They make these things Byzantine on purpose. Mm-hmm. It's all a matter of who's in power in your state. And, you know, people should be aware of that because, again, uh, obviously the Republicans are the main villain in this story, but there's reform all around needed. Right. And the last thing I'll say is a lot of these bills that have been introduced are they're racially motivated, mm-hmm. you know, because the big sway votes now like you saw in places like detroit you're probably you know in in florida you'll see it probably the next election texas obviously we saw it in texas you'll we saw it in uh philadelphia the black vote mm-hmm. is so important and it'll continue to be so if we can get people registered and you know make it easier to vote absolutely
right, so let's uh, let's get into the the first main topic of uh, of this week's episode, and that is the mess in Texas. Um, full disclosure: me and uh, me, and my wife Bex and daughter Millie, where Millie was actually born in Texas. We lived there for five years in Austin. Um, fantastic place, Austin, Texas. Shout out everyone who. We know still there, um, you know, battling through this absolute shit show of a situation that was, you know, very avoidable. Um, so kind of just for anyone who's listening, who's not fully aware of what happened, you know, the essentially there was a, te- a winter storm that hit. You know, you don't really get hit with too much of freezing inclement weather there. I think when we were there, it snowed probably two times, maybe a couple inches. But there's a couple of things at play here. I guess the first thing was the freezing of the power grid across the board. I'm talking about wind, coal, natural gas, and solar. All those facilities froze. Uh, it made it you know, not optimal to actually make the energy that they were supposed to. Now, Texas is the biggest energy producer in the country. So when something like weather can shut that off, you know, what the hell's going on? Now... One of the things that's at play with this as well is that Texas deregulated its um, energy market back in, I believe, 1999. The bill was passed into law in 2001. And living in Texas, one of the one of the main things that we enjoyed was, you know, how cheap our energy was mm-hmm. because obviously there's a market there, and you know, it would you know there's a bit of competition which drove down the price. Something like this, though, however, kind of highlights the importance of having some sort of regulation on that, whether it's having an insurance backup of energy, if something like this does go down, maybe not cutting costs to winterize your facilities, because, you know, there's energy providers and there's states and there's countries who obviously have cold weather, mm-hmm. where they like, keep their facilities open. Um so yeah, it highlighted it a lot. I think the big thing as well is that like with with Texas, they see themselves as loving to be, and I'm I'm not generalizing here. It's it's kind of they they like to be independent with this um, and with a lot of things. You know, don't mess with Texas. Um, and I think the deregulation makes Texas a powerhouse for sure because they're able to offer choice, but at the same time. What, is, what has been left in the wake of this is people aren't safe in their houses because it's too cold. They're not safe outside because it's too cold. They don't have running water. And I spoke to you a couple of days ago and, and how it was an, one more kind of crack on the America persona that, you know, what an, what an amazing place this is. Mm-hmm. It's one more crack on the capitalistic model where you have the biggest energy producer, the biggest America is Texas the biggest state or Alaska? I think Texas is the biggest. No, the I contigu- think Alaska is bigger, but from, from the contiguous U.S., I guess habitable land probably. Right. <laughs> All these people, and they're still. I think there's still 13 million people without clean drinking water right now. Yeah, yeah. They're on a boil water notice. I'm still 160k with no power. Right. On Saturday recording this. Yeah. Right. So and when did when did the 
When did the storm hit? Last Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday? I think it was Tuesday. So, you know, it's it's phenomenal to me. There's so many things at play. You know, people talk about it being politicized from the start. And that was mainly due to your fucking governor coming out, trying to blame it on wind. Mr. Rabbit. Like, I think the, the lasting thing for me with all of this is, and I've heard, I've been in communication with people down there who are saying, oh, this shouldn't be a politicized thing. I'm like, Republicans have ran the state legislator there for two decades now. You know, they were the ones who introduced the deregulation of it, lobbied by by Enron, which I think is hilarious, <laughs> most notably known for <laughs> uh, when they went out of business. Cra- uh, crashing in California. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, the, they've ran the legislator there for two decades. And people talk about, like, not politicizing an event like this. I mean, it absolutely has to be politicized. You know, you have Ted Cruz running off, who's your state senator. Fled Cruz. Fled Cruz running off. So, and people are saying, oh, well, what what could have you done? Were you going to get up there with a, you know, uh, a hard hat and try fix it? No. There's plenty that you can do during a crisis. You know, say what you want about Beto O'Rourke. He's there rallying, you know, getting money to these people. You know, AOC raised two, I think, almost $3 million for Texas, a representative from New York raising money for Texas. And so, went down there. Yeah. And so you, you people, you know, the throwaway comments, well, what, what he could have done? There's plenty he could have done. I don't want to make this about Ted Cruz, though, because that's just funny. Because <laughs> yeah. it's Ted Cruz. Probably the only funny thing about this. It's like insurrectionist Ted Cruz, you know? Fled Cruz said, hold my beer. Let me give you one more thing. This is the second worst thing you've done in a while. Um, And, you know, another thing at play here is that these weather events are going to become more and more common with the, you know, with the looming climate change. And, you know, it's just going to be something that's more and more important for Texas to take note of. So I guess the trade-off now that the people of Texas have to do is like, okay, cost versus safety you know you're you're having those two conversations like you enjoy the open market there but at the same time can you go can you go through another event like this those people are miserable down there and you know a lot of them are only getting their internet back as you said to me a couple of days ago wait till it's louder when all these people have their wi-fi oh, back yeah. yep so i mean what what's your take on it? i know that you've been looking into this as well and um, you know, obviously, you know, the situation's horrendous, what's going on, uh, solidarity to my family down there in Texas. I have some family down there I spoke with. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just horrifying. And this is, this, this is the end game of what you were mentioning earlier, just a complete deregulation of a vital, uh, essential service. You know what I mean? You know, what, what do you need to live? Food, shelter, in water, you mm-hmm. know, and when when you have no shelter, what are you going to do? Um, you know, you, you see all these cases of people, old, old folks freezing to death in their houses, uh, carbon monoxide deaths from people running their cars. And, you know, that's the thing. Like when, when things like this happen and you understand and trust me, these people understood like they saw their their mayors, their senators, their governor on TV. If they you know, if they still had cell phone battery, mm-hmm. uh, you know, basically saying, hey, you're on your phone. You're on your own, folks. Um, so, you know, you had people doing things like trying to heat coal in their house, you know, desperate things to stay alive. And it's yeah. like what you said before, where 
it really puts into stark contrast this idea that people have, this American exceptionalist idea. And it's like, okay, but look, these are super, we know that these extreme weather events are happening. Whether you want to admit climate change is real or not, sure, whatever, go ahead. But at the end of the day, when you have places in this country that never see this type of, you know, what they have a big one back in 2011, I believe, um, you know, it's not completely uh, uh, unprecedented. So, Mm -hmm. but that's actually an argument for why it should have been better prepared for. Yeah. But, you know, it really, it really puts these things, it heightens the contradiction here because you have a state that doesn't have state income tax. Uh, they they deregulate everything. Like you say, that that works well in fair weather moments. You know what I mean? Uh, the competition, the, 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 the prices people pay for energy. But, you know, before we get into some of the more political stuff around this, just to look at the brass tacks of it. Um, what I saw was not only like the obvious issues of like the freezing energy grid, the, the, the physical grid itself, the energy production uh, part of it. But um, what actually happened that I found interesting was demand for natural gas to heat homes and business had spiked. And that obviously contributed to the shortages. And then when high gas prices went further, higher and higher as this dragged on day after day, it disrupted generation because operators who couldn't turn a profit. So now here's the thing, like people have to understand it's very, it's actually pretty similar to how um, our mar- our energy market works here in New York. You can buy from different providers, right? right? It's not just one uniform thing. But so what happened was some of these uh, actual operators who send the energy to your home, they saw that, oh, gas prices are out of control. We can't make a profit right now. Right. And they went offline voluntarily. Mm-hmm. So you have this perfect storm of actual energy production, raw production, like sucking natural gas up out of the ground from fracking, mm-hmm. uh, coal piles freezing over and being unable to be processed by the equipment. Obviously, they didn't winterize solar. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there's solar and wind either. But you actually had operators who had the ability to make to to make power that chose not to. So, again, we're talking about extreme. This is complete laissez faire capitalism at work with a critical system infrastructure. You can't that can't that can't be a thing, folks. If you're if you're going to on top of the fact that they're isolated and they're not not connected to any neighbors, which, you know, is something that the whole rest of the country does, mind you. Mm -hmm. It's the only state in the entire country that doesn't have the ability to receive power from a neighboring state. They can send some. Uh, They have some, uh, they have a couple of connections to send to some of their eastern neighbors, but they can't receive, which I find odd and weird. I didn't really understand that. Maybe it's just like the polarities one way. Don't get it. Don't know why. Doesn't make any sense. Probably because of the deregulatory aspect of it and it needing it needing to be that way so that federal regulations don't come into play. So it's probably that. But what you uh, that that's what really popped out to me is that a lot of these operators just were like, oh, we're not making a profit. All right. Time to go home, boys. In the middle of a crisis. So this right here, it heightens it for me because a lot of right wingers argue like, oh, you know, we don't the government shouldn't be doing this, you know, charity and philanthropy and, you know, oh, corporations will do the right thing. Okay, look what happened here. They don't do. They don't. They're not going to do the right thing. They legally can't. Okay, what people have to understand is uh, corporations have a have a legal responsibility to make profit for their shareholders. This is a publicly traded company. Mm -hmm. Those two things are not simpatico. They aren't just going to burn energy to send to you at a loss. Yep. They they will some for for a while, but once that once that uh once the, the the supply and demand gets out of whack and they start paying a ton more. They're going to shut it off. And that's exactly what happened. The actual providers. Now, um, 
Another interesting part of all of this was, um, so G- Greg Abbott goes on Fox. You know, he's talking about, oh, the wind and the solar on the first day of it. which Bash you know, in the Green New Deal. Yeah, immediately got, you know, stampeded and just completely dunked on out of existence. Like, you know, I think yeah. it's pretty clear even for right-wing people, like, that's not a legitimate talking point. Right. Because you only saw a few desperate Texas politicians even try to launch that. Right. Uh, you know. Plus, it only accounted for, like, what, 10, 12% of the actual energy market down there is wind? Yeah, I think it's 10% was wind. Um, that's what I read. I've, I've seen numbers kind of all over the place. Like there was a guy who actually, uh, worked on the works for Texas energy, like the actual government side of it, who was quoting some different numbers. But I think, I think people were getting mixed up because they were, they were, some people were putting out the raw total capacity numbers. Right. And then some people were putting out where ERCOT, the, um, the electric reliability council of Texas, that's the actual grid operator, right. what their expectations were for what the storm was going to be, gotcha. which, um, just looking at like trying to pull those numbers off the top of my head, I think it was 67,000 megawatts was what they predicted would be needed for this storm. So like they were, they, they had models for, you know, risk assessment and everything with this. Yeah. And it actually turned out that it was somewhere around 72,000. So even if everything had operated under ideal circumstances, somehow miraculously without winterization, they still would have been short and still would have had to do rolling blackouts and people still would have died. Well, I heard that the rolling blackouts and the steps that they took prevented it from being something where they weren't going to get back online like a complete and utter failure where they wouldn't get back online for months right right yeah no this was this could have been a a a catastrophic event right because but how fragile like to my point again how fragile is that for the biggest energy provider in the united states of america the richest country in the world for this to happen this isn't like communism or socialism this is your capitalism this is this here at play it's the rawest form of it yeah and now <laughs> you have price gouging you have some people are getting bills you know they're yep. you know going back to cold houses their mail's coming again they're getting bills for nine thousand dollars yep ten thousand dollars i saw one it was like what the fuck right and that's and that's another interesting part of it too is when you talk about uh federal regulation on energy providers you know again texas doesn't have that it's their yep. own rules where you have that scenario where um yeah, what was it? I think it was like some people were getting up to two thousand dollars, two thousand percent rate rate hikes or something like yeah. that, which is insane. Yeah, it's, it's like a insane. floating mortgage, basically. Yeah, the, the rates. Yeah, like a balloon mortgage. Yeah, yep. yeah. And, and it's you know we had that here. You you can uh, pay directly for energy prices. You can, but the thing is that'll never happen here because first off, we have a a, um, a heavier mix of the source mm-hmm. of where energy comes from, which right. keeps the it keeps that imbalance somewhat more. And you know, obviously, people have uh, the option to do like. You know, the economy plan down there that they do here, their their high demand times are just the inverse of us in the northeast. Right. Here. Theirs, are, theirs is in the summer. So what they can do is pay a little more in the winter so that their bill is moderate, you know, more moderate in the summer instead of being skyrocketed. Right. Yeah. But, and keep, uh, keep in mind as well, not to cut you off, but keep in mind as well that the equipment that is failing due to the inclement weather is set up so it's able to withstand the brutal Texas summers. Right. So it's not like they're not already doing stuff to the equipment. They're just short short changing themselves by not doing it for the winter capacity. Yeah, exactly. Which, you know, and that's, the, it's like what we talked about. What was it? Uh, I think it was episode one where we were bringing up the whole, or no, it was offline prior to episode one where, you know, the whole water sprinkler argument, the libertarian one, you know, yeah. like, oh, should, you know, should apartment owning, uh, apartment owners uh, have to install these things? Like we're, we're at that point in, in Texas t- said no to that question, yeah. basically with, with energy. They said no. 
Well, no, they, they got we, a warning from 2011 when, when the polar vortex hit. Yep. You had what? Famously, the Dallas Cowboys roof fell in. Mm-hmm. And they were warned at that point that they'll have to start putting things in place to negate some of the things that are going to happen due to the changing climate. Right. And, and that's the important thing to understand, too, right, about like this whole, you know, the discourse around climate change is sure some a lot of the scientists say hey we don't have direct evidence that climate change is what actually causes these things but we do know for a fact that the pattern is increasing in rapidity so Mm -hmm. like you just said like 2011 this is 10 years later Mm -hmm. texas doesn't that's generational prior to 2011 this the the timeline is constantly constricting on these things yeah so and it really like i like we keep coming back to it like to me this isn't even about just like a capitalism socialism thing this is just are you, are you going to actually expect your government to do like the bare minimum of keeping mm-hmm. your electricity on? You had that one guy, what was it, the 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 mayor of the city of Colorado yeah. who Colorado you know, City. He yeah. put out this insane statement on Facebook basically telling everybody like, "Oh, if you're struggling and you don't have the ability to heat your home, you're a fucking loser. Right. Uh, sink or swim, you need to yeah. provide for yourself. The government doesn't owe you anything." Right. So, if we're at this point now, if we're at this point where we're saying people who paid to have energy don't deserve it. Right. I mean, you're right. We're not even talking about capitalism anymore right. at that point. We're just we're plainly talking about a a huge swath of a, a portion of this country, politicians and otherwise, just voters, mm-hmm. actually having the mindset that the social contract and of being part of a country means nothing. Right. That's what they're saying to you. So, mm-hmm. and this plays into what we were talking about with the voter suppression thing. It's the mm-hmm. same mindset. Yeah. It's the same mindset. Absolutely. It's the same like, okay, well, if it happens to me, I, you know, uh, you know, I'm Clint Eastwood. It's fine. I have a, I have a hood. I have a wood stove. I have a generator. And if you don't have that, you're a fucking loser and you deserve to freeze. The right. That's how a lot of people are coming at this. An alarming amount of people. Now, right. That that mayor was he resigned shortly after. I think it was like the next day. Yeah. Which yeah, that's a third. Rate. You can't you can't say that when no. people are freezing to death. I mean, you're talking about all denominations freezing to death. Yeah, yeah, everyone. You know, because that that's the thing. Like, the, the, no water. Like, you're talking about homes that aren't a bit. Uh, I've read one thing where it's like in the Northeast, our building code is basically set up to where we have a high enough R value for our, our homes to be insulated to withstand 60 degree swings right. down in Texas. It's 30. Mm-hmm. So, and that mind you, that's 30 from what their median average is through the right. year, which is already pretty high compared to what this ice storm was. So again, it comes back to the regulatory aspect where it's like, you know, you have to ask these questions now. Yep. States that were previously uh, in safe zones from cold weather, is this something that needs to be modified? Do, you know, the way that um, you saw all the bursting water pipes, we're, we're talking about insane damage to these homes. You guys have to look yeah. into this stuff. Yeah. And, and, and the sad part about it is not only because, um, uh, you know, obviously the federal government, Biden stepped right in and immediately declared it an, uh, an emergency for Just, them. He declared it today, though, wasn't it? Was that- well, I think he declared it a higher level than what he initially. Right. Uh, the, like disaster. Yeah. Yeah. Today. He declared, which actually I was concerned about that because what he did today by the um, I forget what the actual terminology is for it. But what he declared it today actually makes it capable for people to request FEMA funds. Right. Which is huge. You know, yeah. I th- obviously I didn't think he would be. You'd have to be a monster to not do it. Um, right. That's what FEMA exists right. for, is for when Americans have extreme weather events hit them of no uh, yeah. a fault of their own. You know, homeowners insurance doesn't pay for that shit. FEMA camps? I heard they're common. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, the Hobbit homes. That was another Ted Cruz uh, original, by the way. <laughs> 
Yeah, and Mr. Cancun. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I mean, it, this is a this is a serious question, and you know what, like. I think it's almost a poetic thing. Like, obviously, it's horrible, and I don't. I'm sad that it happened to it all must these be so people. Is. But yeah. this is almost a poetic, political thing that it's the most maverick state in our union that this happened to. That is going to be forced to have these kinds of questions and think: Should we actually expect more from our government? Like, this is you know, like you said before, it's the Lone Star State, baby. Yeah. Like they're all about Texas. They're all about individuality. And I have a lot of respect for that. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's definitely an, a, it's an admirable quality when it's something that you want to consider in your own personal morality. Right. But on a large scale, when you're talking about a state with millions of people in it and just expecting the bare minimum of your government to be able to keep your lights on mm-hmm. or, you know, keep energy flowing. So, so, fall to your own. so yeah. grandpa's oxygen can yeah. keep going. You know, that's a base thing. That's not... We're not asking for a lot here, folks. And if we're having this, if this is where the discourse is at, where we're having debates over whether that's a function a government should provide, mm-hmm. we're not in a good place. Right. So I'm hoping that there's going to be some radicalization coming out of Texas right. after this. Right. I mean, and, the, you know, the, the if you look at the actual government in Texas, like I said, it's been Republican led there for two decades now. You have Governor Abbott, who... You know, as we talked about, went on first chance he got, he went on Fox News to try blame the Green New Deal. Backtrack since you have uh, wh- who's the lieutenant governor there? No, he was the oh one. Rick Perry. Rick Perry was was former governor talking about how like Texans won't mind you know uh, gr- grinning bearing it for a few days just so we can keep <laughs> yeah. you know government out of our. I mean, what? insane bro people are not thinking like that and you know the people i've talked to down in texas one thing i'll tell you texans are great and they're you know there's a lot made of you know it being like gun-toting cowboys and and they're certainly there and i'm not saying that that's a bad thing at all but there's almost like a connotation towards like they're just right more more people voted blue in texas than voted blue in new york there was more blue votes i think seven 0.9 0.9 million in Texas, where there was like 7.7 in New York. So all of us up here or people up here are like, oh, you know, serves them right for being... No, Texas, as we know now, is a purple state, which this will play into a good conversation, hopefully, been happening between the people of Texas holding their government accountable for what happened and them actually listening to the people. Like right. They could be maverick for a long, long time as a Republican... Uh, legislation for the last 20 years but now when you have something as serious as this where the buck stops right there they need to do something what is that going to be is it going to be you know more regulation is it as i spoke about is it going to be more of a an, an insurance uh you know amount of energy or something that's i don't know i don't have the answers to that Right. Well, I mean, Greg Abbott, he did come out like when he made uh, um, so first off, he came out and he made a bunch of statements threatening uh, ERCOT. Um, he he called for resignations and investigations into them and their leadership. Uh, ERCOT, again, who was the Texas grid operator. Um, he also he declared he did uh, to answer your question. He declared um, reform uh, to the to the energy grid, mm-hmm. an emergency item for the 2021 legislative se- uh, session, which basically uh, compel- compels the. Their, their legislature to approve a bill on the subject in the next 60 okay. days. So there's has to be something out of this because right. just like what um, 
you know, I spoke to my aunt's husband down there. You know, like he told me that that direct quote, you know, just wait till the Internet comes back on down here. Right. You know, and that's a big part about this, too, is the difference of, um, you know, other disasters that we've seen, like, you know, like Katrina, for example. Like we had a ton of footage from that. There was a ton of testimony. We, we People were in contact with a lot of folks on the ground then. And even back then, it wasn't like the Internet wasn't as proliferated as it mm-hmm. is now. People didn't use it as much. Mm-hmm. But what, like we're going to see horrifying tales unravel more and more over the next week i mean there's still people without power first of all yeah and second off uh you know what is it like my my aunt's in austin and she said you know they their power went out sunday and when i spoke to her thursday i believe it was that was the first day that they'd even seen any you know they like the government like rolled in some buses for people to like go on to warm up for a minute so you're talking about three days of extreme temperatures yeah where there was just no one there. And, 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 you know, I was talking to some people about this this week. And like what I mentioned earlier with like hopefully some radicalization coming out of this. What I mean by that isn't like, oh, revolutionary. No, what I mean is I'm hoping that you're going to see you, it, it takes things like this to happen to people who are uh, politically agnostic or people who, you know, have these laissez-faire attitudes toward government to really understand like, Okay, no matter how, uh, you know, Butch Cassidy I think I am, someone you know isn't, that you care about, that you love, that depends on the government, Mm -hmm. whether that be for (laughs) energy grid operation or, you know, for Social Security or whatever, name it. But the whole point is, hopefully you're going to, this is going to touch close enough for a lot of people who, A, never considered these things before or B, thought that they weren't necessary to actually understand and realize like, wow, there's forces in this world, whether it be weather, whether it be, you know, uh, you know, God forbid war or any. Right. There's a ton of different things that can affect people that there needs to be a countrywide or at least a statewide response to. This isn't something that people could just handle that like mutual aid or you like looking out for your buddy can do. Yeah. These are wide. These things are on such a wide scale. That's the whole point behind paying taxes and having a social contract to help each other when there's disaster. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So hopefully we'll just see some general movement out of that. Yeah, I mean, and and it's still going on right now. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously there's an end in sight in terms of having to deal with, you know, blackouts, no heat, no water, all that. You know, what I will say though, I've been very heartened by how well people have stuck together down there mm-hmm. um you know i'm seeing stuff on social media i've been in contact with my friends people are pulling together and there's an there's a a real you know sense of people obviously coming together but a lot of people are fucking angry a lot of people are angry by this whole thing Should like be. how can this happen um and it's it's absolutely nuts um and i'll admit my, my, my friend was telling me prior to like the snow and the cold coming in first of all they knew that there was a cold snap coming. Mm-hmm. You know, they have weather we, models. We knew for weeks. Yeah. yeah. So my friend was like, oh, we're going to get some snow. I'm like, ah, what are you talking about? It'll probably be 70 degrees again by next week. So even I was like, that's grand. I mean, obviously I wasn't foreseeing that, but there was a little bit of like, oh, you guys don't know how to handle snow down there. Da, da, da. But that's also another point is like, you have pipes bursting. You have people who don't really know how to deal with inclement weather like that. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, they'll probably know how to deal with hot days, but simple things like turning off a hose pipe outside when it's cold. Right. You know, right now, I don't have my water going to my outside hose because it'll, you know, burst. 
just little things that they just weren't prepared for. Um, and there didn't seem to be the communication. Uh, I, I believe when they started doing the rolling blackouts was at what, two in the morning or something like that. Or they- Yeah. I've heard all kind of stuff. I mean, my aunt, she said that they were, um, well, like her, the day that her power came back on was like two o'clock or something. And then like that night they cut it out again. Yeah. You know, so you get warm for about, you know, eight, 10 hours or something. And then it was off all night. But, you know, we talked about it as well. Like, and to my point of people not knowing what to do, you had people who were dying from carbon monoxide poisoning because they're, you know, starting their cars in their garages to keep warm mm-hmm. and gassing themselves like a silent killer. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly eye opening, um, you know, to a lot of people there, a lot of people around the world. Um, you know, my family back home, I was like, you know, are, are your friends okay? And, and you know, what's going on there? Like, how can that happen? Uh, it's just really odd. It's just third world type yeah. performance by America after a third world performance. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're still, I mean, I would argue the worst performing country in the world. That's like, you know, first or second world uh, with, with the pandemic. Yeah. Um, a ton of things. And it and it's again, like it's this it's this cascading effect. And then this is the, the last point I want to make on it that I really want to highlight. Like this shouldn't be we have to stop looking. I still see people talking about it like, oh, you know, because climate change will be this thing or like, oh, like the people. No, it's now. It's this here. is it. It's here, this baby. is it. Yeah. OK. 2011 was the that was the uh, their foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. This is the mass event. Now. And, and, and the reason I say that is because the next one, who knows? It might be more sustained. Maybe it'll yeah. be two weeks long. Okay, what happens then? Mm-hmm. If there isn't anything changed, and I'm sure there's going to have to be something changed. Like at the very least, weatherization of the uh, right. energy production. At the very least. But again, like I said, on the home code level, you know, do you... And, and again, this isn't something that Texas is equipped for because of its mindset. Mm-hmm. But, you know, say in New York, we have all kinds of programs for energy grants you know they don't have a lot of that shit down there because that state purposefully doesn't take federal dollars to do programs like that Mm -hmm. so something's gonna have to shift in that regard because it's gonna keep happening not necessarily in texas but who knows where next yeah there's no way to predict these things and there has to be preparation for it this is it people we're living in it and any money that you think you're saving by not taking the correct steps I guarantee you, you're going to end up losing your fucking ass when that event happens and you're going to have to try rebuild and do right. all these different things as a state. Just your economy pausing for a week costs more right. than anything you, than, than the total cost of all the shit we're talking about. Right. Just that weak stall. Because again, right. like, it's not even just like the actual infrastructure failure. It's like, um, you know, actual snow clearance and stuff. They're just, they, they, they still can't do that. Yeah, the highways there. are still not yeah, They clear. still can't. How? I And I mean, I'm not saying like, oh, buy a fleet and then just have it sitting there because right. snow is going to come every six years. Work out some sort of agreement where you know you have a storm coming, where you can get assistance from neighboring states. Something. You have to do something. I have you, some inventions that I'm thinking yeah, of. I'm I don't gonna, know. I mean, there's... You there's see, opportunity here, Ramon. Let's get... <laughs> I mean, you see other countries do it. They uh, they put a certain type of chemical in the blacktop that helps, uh, you know, uh, ice not form. There's a ton of shit that you can yeah. do infrastructure-wise. Yeah. And Texas has the means to do it. Or, I don't know, if you feel like you don't, you need revenue, I don't know, maybe try a state income tax. Right. Maybe try it. Because no, that's that, that also seems to be a pattern. Well, and a lot of these states where disasters keep happening, 
Well, it's the conversation that needs to happen now is reliability versus cost. Right. It's just, is that mean you pay a little bit more here and there? You know, so be it. Because you're paying for a fucking right now one way or the other. Right. So, yeah, that's, it's just a crazy situation. Um, You know, the, the same week that they put a fucking rover on the Mars, <laughs> can't keep the lights on and the biggest energy producer in the greatest democracy country in the world. In the world. And that's not a jab at Texas, everyone. I'm just it's just an irony of it all. Yeah. No, yeah, it's not a jab at them. And the all the people who were like, oh fuck them, they're red, that's disgusting. You know, yeah. that's it doesn't matter. Even if even if 80% of Texans were Republican, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You're dealing it, with people. You're talking about human beings. So yeah. yeah. So, that's yeah. gross. Dunk on the politicians. Yes. The people, no. Yeah. And to anybody who is saying that, you know, politicians don't matter during this, they absolutely do. Um and all I'd say is hold them responsible for what they didn't do um, and pay attention to the people that are actually doing something and moving the conversation forward on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, crazy. Um, all right, so we'll finish with uh, with the, the next topic, which is the death of Mr. Rush Limbaugh. The boy. And I'll preface this with saying that I'm not here to celebrate... The fact that he died. Honestly, I I am. I couldn't care less. <laughs> I wasn't happy. I wasn't ecstatic. I was like, oh, that, oh, that happened. Um, just an awful human being. And I'm not saying that from a personal standpoint. I'm just, I'll go off his own words. Um, Ramon, I sent you a video. Oh, yeah. Should, should we pull it up and give our reaction to it? Or? Yeah, let's pull it up. We'll just, yeah, we'll preface this talk with this, folks. Here we go. One thing that always struck me about Rush Limbaugh, and I think it's key in some ways to his success, was that he meant it. When he said it, he meant it. Nigga with an A on the end. Well, I think I can now. Isn't that the point? Because it's not racist. That's the point. I could be talking about a male. I could be a Chinese male. Guy at the laundromat. He defended the traditions of this country, and he spoke for tens of millions of us. How many of you guys, in your own experience with women, have learned that no means yes if you know how to spot it? They didn't have time. They only had time to put Biden's name on these fake ballots. And then feed them into the system. Dominion tabulators. And that they did, they fed an equal number of votes for both Trump and Biden. Was spat out of the machine as a 26% lead for Biden. Meanwhile, Al Sharpton goes out the front door. Yes, I spoke a little Negro dialect there. I can do that when I, uh, when I want to. In and out the front door. Very decent and nice person, by the way. I'm, I'm sure others have said that, but it's true. What does it say about the college co-ed Susan Fluke, who goes before a congressional committee and essentially says that she must be paid to have sex? What does that make her? It makes her a slut, right? Makes her a prostitute. She wants to be paid to have sex. If we're going to have to pay for this, then we want something in return. Ms. Fluke, and that would be the videos of all this sex posted online so we can see. The thing that I think defines defines him the most, he loved this country. He was a patriot. The coronavirus has been weaponized by the media 
and by opponents of Donald Trump as the latest weapon they might be able to use to get rid of him. Hospitals are not being overrun, like you're being told. Uh, they call it sexual objectification, demeaning, not taking women seriously, but it's just the way of the world. Boys chase girls. But a tiny minority of these protesters, and undoubtedly including some Antifa Democrat-sponsored instigators, did decide to go to the Capitol to protest. This is an absolute gut punch to conservatives in America, to Republicans in America. You're a foreigner. Shut your mouth or get out. And if you come here illegally, you're going to jail. Feminism was established so as to allow unattractive women easier access to the mainstream of society. It doesn't look like Michelle Obama follows her own nutritionary dietary advice. I'm trying to say that our first lady does not project the image of women that you might see on the cover of the Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue. There are plenty of lard-ass women in politics, and they get a total pass on it. But if you boiled it down, he cut through a lot of noise and went to an issue uh, beyond the back and forth that we cover every day. Here you have a black president trying to destroy a white policeman. Ooh. So, yeah, um, as I said, you know, Rush Limbaugh died. And I think a bigger thing to look at is kind of his legacy, not so much, you know, what he's... I mean, we'll talk about what he said and done throughout <laughs> his, his career in media. But his legacy is Donald Trump. His legacy is, you know, fragile, conservative white men who talk about where this country is going if soy boy Democrats come in. That that little shtick that has been run every night on a Tucker Carlson and a Sean Hannity, mm -hmm. that is birthed off of person like Rush Limbaugh. Now, you know, you we could be here all day listening out the things that he said that are destructive, but I think a far greater thing to look at is why was he tolerated? What was it in reaction to that he resonated with so many people? You know, is it, was it the economics at the time? Because he really came to prominence in what, the early 90s? 90s, yeah. The early 90s in reaction to, I guess in his words, was the liberal media, um, you know, the, the Clinton era. Um, I mean, they were the, the first person that, or the first group that he kind of, you know, focused in on and really hated on. And I'd argue that the anti-Clinton rhetoric that you've heard throughout was, was again, those seeds were sown sure. from Rush Limbaugh. And I mean, they certainly earned some of, of it on their, yeah. I mean, because like the Clintons, like you were saying, uh, like when he came to prominence at the same time, the Clintons were sort of the the physical manifestation of the marrying of the Democratic Party with like the professional managerial class. Like that was the first, you know, with Bill Clinton with triangulation, welfare reform. Right. You know, that was the course that he he put the Democratic Party on, putting that corporate face on it like out in the open for the first time. Yeah. You know, and that that gave Limbaugh a perfect launching point and a target. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. Like, you know, focusing in on the horrifying things that he said, sure, you know, we could do that. Uh, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this has seen plenty of it. And 
you know, I think for me, it's it's more the general concepts around his death. Like, you know, what 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 is important? Like, first of all, like what I was saying in the beginning, everybody can have their take on it. You know, oh, don't speak ill of the dead, whatever. Um, was he ever ever alive, or he's always a ghoul? Uh, I mean, yeah, he's a fucking monster. <laughs> and I, you know, and hey, I'll I'll go by the I'll 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 reciprocate this. You know, upon myself. You know, hey, if you didn't agree with me politically, if this if this ends up taking off, and I'm a fucking political figure, I don't care. I die. Go ahead. Who get, yeah. first off, I'm dead. Right. Okay. So I don't need anyone to like stick up for me like after I'm dead. And this whole game that we play whenever some horrifying fucking monster on the right dies and then like people rightfully dunk on them and it won't even be people on the right. It'll yeah. be just like centrist Democrat people like, oh, you know, you probably shouldn't. Blah, blah, blah. No, fuck that guy. Yeah. Okay. Fuck that guy. Observe what he did in his life. We can agree that some people were just objectively bad. You know, or, you know, we don't even have to agree if if that's if that's my understanding of it. What am I going to sit here and like couch my language around this person who would probably, you know, would spit on you in real life anyway? This man was a fucking monster. Yeah. OK, so just scratch all the civility and everything. But the other like, you know, overarching theme here that I think is important to discuss is. Like, yeah, uh, just like how I call it, like, you know, Mitch McConnell's like the Michael Jordan of Congress. You know, this guy was, I, you know, I said it the other day. He was the fucking Ho Chi Minh of the Republican Party. You want to talk about propaganda. Yeah. I mean, this man, you know, to, to give him the props, just like I give McConnell, his level of understanding how far he needed to go across the lines that were drawn and while simultaneously marrying that with. The, whatever the current line of the Republican Party was, was masterful, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that was a big part of why he, you know, was invulnerable during all of the, you know, monstrous things he said was because he had the backing of, you know, insane GOP donors where he couldn't be taken off the air. You know what I mean? He couldn't be taken off yeah. the air. He couldn't be shamed into stopping mm -hmm. his rampage, you know, and in that and in that sense, he was. He was a unique figure in just American media in general because there is no counterpart to compare him to in that right. regard. You know, he was he was super unique in that regard. Um, but like you said, it's it's so obvious when you look at the timeline of it of. I don't want to say he captured the Republican Party because, it, you know, obviously it's unfair to the Republican Party, at least Republicans to say that, uh, you know, Rush Limbaugh was captured all Republicans because he didn't. I know plenty who were like, fuck sure. that guy. But the Republican Party, and you see it in Congress and the Senate right now, the fact that, you know, he'll probably get the freedom of Florida, whatever fucking DeSantis is trying <laughs> to give him. He's already got the highest civilian honor that someone could get from the president of the United States. For talking on the radio. Yeah. Being racist. <laughs> like, I'm not even just saying he was skirted the issue. You know, that video, he's literally saying racist things. Yeah, yeah. He's bigoted, sexist, and not canceled ever. Like, uncancelable. Uncancelable. It's just, that is a more damning thing to America than what he was actually saying. The fact that he was still able to have a platform. And I'm not saying, like, we, we should have dissented him and, and he wasn't able to speak. Because he's going to speak. That, that sort of rhetoric is going to be out there. But to the fact that he was at the State of the Union, receiving the highs, and it was kind of like accepted by the party. That's That shit is just 
That is unacceptable. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, his legacy is every day you see on fucking Fox News. That, you know, fragile, worried about immigrants, worried about, you know, the liberal. That's That was birthed with, with Rush Limbaugh. Yeah, he, he was the first person who hijacked your grandpa or grandma's mind. He, he created a program on a platform that, you know, like what we're doing here. He, he formed parasocial relationships with people over decades. Mm -hmm. Just spitting, spitting Grima worm tongue. Lord of the Rings level poison in people's ears mm -hmm. while they worked, while they drove to work, while they were cooking, uh, you know, breakfast, whatever. And I think that, you know, that's you can't underestimate that, like because that is what that, that's the primer for what makes QAnon possible. That's the primer for what yeah. makes Alex Jones possible. Yep. That's the primer for Hannity being the largest figure on Fox for years, you know, mm -hmm. and. And, and and that's immeasurable. You can't measure that because right. when you're talking about a person who believes in what Russia is saying for years, you know, you're talking about a, a wild disconnect from reality, not even just political reality, but like the actual reality of how other humans around them walking around them feel, yep. you know, and that's a dangerous fucking thing. So and again, this isn't me saying like, oh, he should have been canceled, blah, 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 whatever. But it's just honestly, it's just it's a phenomenon and it's an amazing phenomenon to see the level of influence one man, uh, you know, can have from outside from an from an outside political stance yeah. to form policy because he would literally he would harp on things, you know, think let's bring it, uh, you know, what, what, like what things some things that weren't uh, birtherism. He helped highlight that, even though a lot of people attribute that to Trump. Uh, Limbaugh was there at the at the early stages birthing right, that yep. birthing that as well. Um, uh, you just heard it about the Dominion voting machines. You know, he was one of the largest voices pushing that. And again, like I want people to understand because I know a lot of people have never heard him. Uh, like I, I used to hear him all the time. I worked construction growing up. A lot of right wing guys I worked with would have it on while we worked on the radio, uh, you know, all throughout my life. Always heard it. And, you know, most of it, it's just comical to me because it's yeah. like, wow, this guy's just lying to people for hours. But indoctrinate them yeah, at the same time. Them. But I don't think a lot of people who haven't actually heard it, like, first off, the the reason it was wildly dangerous because he was good at it. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. have to give him credit. Yeah. He had a great uh, radio voice. He understood how to have proper cadence to make it to simulate conversation with people. Yeah. yeah like, he, he was an excellent broadcaster. But to have that level of, just complete disinformation coming at your coming at you out of the radio for I mean, what what do you do like two hour three hour shows was he on for yeah you know like I, that's irreplaceable there's nothing you know that's comparable to like fdr's fireside chats a lot of people who were his political opponents said like you're capturing the airwaves and pushing propaganda yeah which technically he was but when you have a guy like this who had this amount of backing i mean the level of astroturfing first of all like I forget the numbers, but he was like one of the, he's one of the highest paid radio personalities in American history, aside from like uh, Howard Stern. Yeah. You know, um, 86 million he was worth in the last year. Just astronomical numbers. And when you consider like it's not like um, it wasn't just for pure popularity. Like, don't get me wrong. He was popular, but like that wasn't they weren't making that kind of money off of the ad shares and stuff like radio ads don't pay that much. Like he was being he paid as a rock star of the right. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's. That's his legacy is right now, if you're to encapsulate him, he is the rock star of the right mm -hmm. with his golden fucking microphone. 
Yeah, man. I mean, you know, hey, hats off to the guy, but still at the same time, no, fuck that. Guy. Everybody, well, you know, respect to the enemy, basically. Right. But um, hats you, off to the grift, I guess. Yeah, I mean, hey, you gotta fucking respect the hustle, but. Yeah, to all these people who were like, oh, don't speak ill of the dead. I, keep that shit to yourself. Like, to honestly expect anyone else to live by that measure of when you're talking about this. This type of guy. Type of fucking, yeah. this level of monster. It's just, well, you, it's ridiculous. You think, of the, and it's been highlighted, I guess, more and more as I would say the left talks about it more is how powerful words can be. Mm-hmm. Um, not just to the people that is listening to his show. But then going ahead and regurgitating it to the people that he's trying to minimize in his show. Right. So he's talking about negatively of immigrants, women, uh, racial racial undertones to his stuff and flat out racism yeah. in what he says. You think of the heartache that he caused people because of that. Communities, families even. Mm-hmm. You know, I know people who <laughs> would uh, their parents would listen to Rush Limbaugh and, you know the kids would have to listen to it. And, and, you know, what, what has been interesting though, is like you've had kids who probably grew up on Limbaugh because of their parents or whatever. It doesn't always translate into those people becoming, you know, Republicans or like that sort of Republican. A lot of them kind of shy away from because they're like, this guy's fucking nuts. (laughs) Yeah. But just when we talk about speaking ill of the dead, he, I mean, he would have, he wouldn't have given us the same. No. Yeah, exactly. Didn't he have a... I saw someone commented on what I said um, on Facebook about how he used to have a running segment where he used to... All the people who had died of AIDS or something. Yeah, know? gay people. Yep, he'd mock them. Yeah. Fucking... Yeah, I mean, it's, and that's what's so amazing to me. It's like, well, you'll still see people line up. And I, and I get it. Some people honestly feel principled on that issue. And I think it's... It's not like overtly like a religious tenement or, or a tenant. But it feels that way to me, like where people are like, oh, you know, you shouldn't do that. Like it's some sort of sacrosanct thing. Yeah. And it's like, but this is why and it's like it goes back to what me and you, you know, I bring it up all the time. And I think it's really, really important philosophical building block of the way that like the Democrat mind is wired, where they have this idea where it's like you shouldn't treat people how you want to. That's true. That's true. But when we're talking about politics and this man was a political figure. Mm hmm. No, go for the fucking throat because they will not afford you the same thing. Right. You need to take your opportunity. This man was a propagandist. Yeah. When He's he, a Goebbels. When he dies, you don't fucking be like, oh, well, no, we shouldn't say naughty things about him. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. This man did more to shape Republican politics in the last 20-something years than arguably anyone. I, the Any only politics. person I would exclude from that is probably like, I don't know, George Bush Sr. Or mm-hmm. like... um. Uh, 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 Newt Gingrich maybe but certainly no one from like this era because like even McConnell like he's a functional Michael Jordan he's not he wasn't he's not smoothing anyone with his words no right. he's the guy he was the he was the fucking hatchet man he was the uh, he did the wet work he right. went in and took the bodies out after yeah. you know what I mean yeah. and he and he made up a fucking legal way to do it you right. know what I mean Right. this guy no he's like you said it's uh, he's like he's He's putting mind control fucking helmets on people. This is the reason why you see, uh, like right now, perfect example. Um, you've seen a ton of stories in the news lately of ha- ha- Asian hate crimes. Like this is the effect of that. Yeah. You people like him. People like Trump on airwaves, on television, just demagoguing for yeah. hours on Twitter, on social media. This is the effect of it because there's people who tune into this. There's something There's something like unique that, and I'm not, you know, I'm sure people smarter than me, you have a better idea of explaining this but 
there's something so unique in listening to just audio and someone just talking to you. Like right now. As Subscribe if to the channel. Yeah, as <laughs> if you're in the room with them. That just has this really it, intimate. It, it has this yeah. special way of just worming its way into people's minds. Mm -hmm. And it's indicative through all, all, a ton of what you see in social relations throughout the country. And add into that fact as well. He's talking about things that typically you won't have people talk about. He's playing on the fears of people. So you feel like you're being heard because yeah. your fears are being spoken by a guy on the radio. Mm -hmm. He's playing to that lowest common denominator that same element that trump played to when he told people to stand back and stand by yeah um you know the same sort like there's so much parallels in that element of the republican party with what rush limbaugh was able to cement with, through the party and through through society right i mean even the counter movement when we talk about trump's leg or when we talk about limbaugh's legacy we have to talk about the counter movement then as well. Mm -hmm. You talk about the jocks, the shock jocks who came on from a, a liberal side. Right, right. You know, the, there had to be something else. Um, right. But in, in, in typical liberal fashion, it took years <laughs> to even start to think to catch up. I mean, like, what was it? Like the first instance of it, like an actual true left alternative or uh, uh, um, opposition to like a Limbaugh would probably be like Air America. Yeah. Um, you know, that was probably like you had like Sam Cedar, Rachel Maddow was on it. There was a ton of, uh, you know, young liberals. I would argue some of them leftists that were on that. And, you know, what happened there? Some like minorly controversial things got talked about in foreign policy. Boom. Blown up. Yeah. Got fucking knocked. Eliminated. And yeah. a bunch of those people got assimilated in the MSNBC, all these other corporate networks. Gently assimilated. But there was never any like outstanding, uh, you know, like maverick style person who could survive in any uh, in today's political environment on the left with that simply because Democrats don't think like propaganda has any use. And I don't mean to say and again, like I talk about this all the time. Like, you know, I consider myself in the way that I operate with. My politics and how I try to push them into the real world. I am attempting to propagandize people. That's not necessarily a negative term, okay? Mm -hmm. um, Democrats just—I I don't know if it's on purpose, but like they—they they, the only type of propaganda that they attempt to do is through like think tanks, and, and it, which eventually seeps into politicians' minds to become law. Mm -hmm. But they never try to do any on the people. They never, and the thing is, a lot of the things that Democrats could propagandize about are good, good, correct things. Right. Like things that they're objectively right on. With data to back up. But they right. just never make their case. And, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, there needs to be a liberal Limbaugh or anything. Like, no, I'm not saying that. Yeah. But all I'm saying is, you know, you have to, you got to understand these power dynamics and how just, you like, uh, lopsided it's been and still continues to be when you talk about, media personalities and think like what who does the left have like chris cuomo like is that that that's what they have a guy on a corporate network and it's that's normally you know from the left standpoint it's normally a comedian who best right. sums it up from from a, a liberal standpoint and the left standpoint you know i think what emboldened the right and people like and what gives them a lot of material honestly is that every talk show host you know the Hollywood in general is not, at least on the surface, not conservative. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what they get. That's where they get. They're like, Oh, see, they're so against us. They wouldn't have much material. <laughs> Otherwise. Right. I think someone who for me was kind of the, 
the the opposite or I guess the left's alternative to was someone like John Stewart. Yeah. You know what I mean? He was unapologetically fucking bashing people like Limbaugh and Mitch McConnell and all of them. And I don't even know when, when the Daily Show came about. Probably late 90s. I, I think it was like early 2000s. I could be wrong though. Yeah. But, was but for me, he was someone who, you know, right. comedy is sometimes the best way to look at politics because a lot of the stuff that goes on is just fucking laughable. Right. Anyway, satire is the only way to look at it. Someone like, you know, him, John Oliver, a lot of people that came out of the Daily Show really would be the answer. Right. But that's the thing, though, right? Like, even then, like, look at Comedy Central. Like, that was his platform. Look at what happened with Comedy Central through the mid and late 2000s. He ended up leaving because of issues. Dave Chappelle ended up leaving because of it. You know, that's my point. Like, there is no, no, there is no person on the left. The only way you'll find people that have any level of, uh, you know, just shameless levels of propaganda on the left, it's on fucking YouTube. Yeah. Or like maybe a podcast or something. The Young Turks try to do it a bit. This is something that Democrats really lack when you talk about the propaganda level, when you talk about, um, you know, like, for example, like they think about like the Federalist, uh, 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 the Federalist it's institution like, yeah. on the right. You, know, you have whole infrastructure built up on the right to bring up uh, people who take law, to, uh, you know, uh, people who've gone to school to get law degrees and then you siphon them in to be clerks with other uh, judges. Yeah, and then you're, yeah, the whole time, but that whole time that you're pipelining them, you're cultivating them to your politics. Mm -hmm. that, that doesn't exist on the left. There's uh, Limbaugh is like the perfect launching point for this type of thought process to begin on the left because it's like, you know, now that we have a chance to actually like zoom out and look at like, wow, look at all the fucking damage this guy did. And, yeah. You know, from from our perspective, it's damage from theirs. Look, you like we just said in that clip, like Tucker Carlson's like, this guy's uh, uh, he was a God. The, he was God. essentially. Yeah. yeah. Like politicians on the right would literally listen to his show and get their talking points from right. him, you know, and who knows where that came from. I'm sure he was, I'm sure he, at, you know, once he became more and more popular, I'm sure he was being fed by some of the think tanks and it was probably a, yeah. a symbiotic relationship Cyclical, in that yeah. regard. But the point is he had an, an, an inordinate amount of influence on GOP politics for decades. And there's, there's a lot of function to having someone who exists outside of the system, whether it be the corporate system or the political system, to be able to be a major player in that way. And it's, again, something Democrats just give no thought to or have any interest in attempting, at yeah. least. And, and I will say, like, normally when you have someone who is influential as this dying, there's normally a vacuum left behind. I think he'd been in ill health, and I think there's enough people who have to come in behind him, part of his team, that that vacuum is not left behind. Mm -hmm. um, is there going to be another iteration of someone like Rush Limbaugh in the future? I, d I don't really think so. I, I think it's already, like, it's already, the iterations are happening all the time. You right. Know? It's like... I mean, what, Hannity's also mad old. He's going to be on his way out soon. Mark Levin never really got that too popular. I mean, he's a psycho, but yeah. I don't see him, you know, because that's the difference, right? Like, Limbaugh, like we said at the beginning, like, he was actually a showman. All these other people we're talking about are just like zero personality, charisma. Yeah. Just they could be like, politicians. Like, who's going to be next? What is it going to be like? Charlie Kirk? You know what? No, no, there is no one left. He was a Ben he, Shapiro. He was of a dying. No, again, he's a fucking nerd. You the, the <laughs> different. The reason Limbaugh was popular was because he fucking you know he died with uh, choking on a fucking cigar. You know that. The things that he emanated from his persona yeah. is what right-wingers think like being a manly man is. There right. aren't any of those left. 
Yeah. There aren't any of those left. As much as people on the right try to dunk on like, oh, your solar boy left this, blah, blah, blah. Look at these fucking nerds. Look at Ben Shapiro and uh, Charlie Kirk. And uh, are you kidding me? There's there ain't none of them left. There's never going to be another. Yeah, it's all a show now. It's it's all a show. Right. Look at look, Trump. These people act like he was like, oh, he's so manly. Like, no, yeah. he's a diva. Right. He went up there. He goes on stage talking about hairspray. Right. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> the, the Republican Party doesn't even need to have that type of signifier anymore. Like, oh, I'm a, I'm a fucking uh, I look at Playboy magazines and chew on cigars all day. I'm, yeah. a, I'm a big boy. You yeah. know, they don't even need that anymore. No. Now it's just Trump's completely morphed that. So, I mean, like you said, who knows who's going to be next? But you're certainly not going to catch any like 60 year or older uh, Republicans listening to like Charlie Kirk. No, this is just not going to happen. No, it's just not. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to say kudos to him, but he certainly <laughs> left a long lasting legacy. And I, I guess from just looking at the psychology of it all. And again, you know, we talked about how how could the energy uh, crisis and catastrophe happen in Texas? Also, like, how could a country who claims to be so free, so brave, allow someone like this spouting what he's spouting we're talking about racist bigoted stuff and be brought to the upper echelons of government and given a fucking medal of freedom when in his own words he's saying these things yeah so america needs to stop talking down to other countries about how they treat people how they talk to people because if you're going to put this someone as 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 high up as that and give them medals and talk about them in great ways from inside your own house and Senate politicians, then, I mean, what are we really talking about here? Uh, that's, that's all I'll say on it. That's my Limbaugh legacy. Liverpool lost today. <laughs> Fucking. <laughs> I've been heated. They've been losing. Side note. <laughs> oh no. But oh, I do have a babysitter tonight, so I'm going to go have a drink. There you go. Go <laughs> sip something. I mean, <laughs> All right, lads and lasses, that was episode four. And else you got from Ramon? Um, no, Lasting that's all notes. I got. Just, uh, you know, any corrections on any previous episodes? Of it? Oh, I'm sure there's a million <laughs> things we got wrong. Bear we were it. always right. You can check it. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, just, you know, hey, look out for next week. Uh, our boy Cuomo is going to be making a comeback in next week's episode. I'm sure you're all seeing that. Uh, you know, tune in. Uh, if you got any comments, critical or otherwise, leave them on uh, wherever you're listening to it. And we appreciate the support, folks. Yeah, and just on that note, you know, anyone who's joining joining the listenership and this was your first episode, you know, certainly go back and listen to some of the other episodes as well. We, we are obviously getting into some conversations on different issues that are right now. And for the most part, I think you were on the money last week about the Como stuff. As you see, oh, as you yeah. see it developing right now. You know, we've been we've been right on the, the pulse of what's happening. And I think that's spiraling that tip, topic. We're, we're trying to stay ahead of it for you folks. Just yeah. Trying to hit the right analysis. Yeah. Um, Rush Limbaugh will still be dead next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe they'll find another bag of illegal Viagra or something. You know. All right, lads. Thanks. All right. <laughs>